Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, whose blessing holds us and keeps us in joy. Amen. Happy Easter! Yes, it is still Easter. Easter isn't just one day, it's an entire season. Fifty days, a week of weeks. And you betcha I'll keep reminding you that Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. Alleluia! And yet, while we celebrate Christ's resurrection during this season, today we also remember his ascension, his return to God. As we confess week after week in the Apostles' Creed, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. But what does this mean for us, that Jesus ascends to heaven? If we read a bit further in Ephesians, we'll find some help. As we heard this morning, therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. But then the writer continues, when it says he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. So this Jesus, who first ascends when God becomes incarnate in the baby Jesus, then later ascends as a resurrected one, who goes back to God in order to fill all things with Christ's presence, so that all of creation, the earth, sky, and shining stars, the sea and river and lakes, the fish and the birds and the animals of all kinds, and all human beings and the diversity of their experiences and identities, might reflect God's love and light, this promise of life over death, this Easter joy. That's all good and important, but I wonder what Jesus' ascension was like for the disciples. For his ascension marks his departure, his leave-taking, the moment when he says goodbye to his friends forever. And we know how difficult goodbyes are for those who are left behind and for those who must leave. So let's rewind a bit to recap what has happened up to this point to provide a bit more context to Jesus' words and actions before his ascension. It's Easter morning. The women arrive at the tomb and discover Jesus' body is not there. We hear those beautifully haunting words from the angel, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. The women go to tell the disciples, but they don't believe it. They can't believe it. So Peter comes to the tomb for himself and sees that, yes, in fact, Jesus is not there. Then, later on the same day, Jesus appears to some of his disciples as they walk to Emmaus. They invite Jesus to stay with them for the evening, and over a shared meal of bread, the disciples recognize Jesus, but just then, he vanishes from their sight. Again, later the same day, Jesus shows up in the midst of the disciples, saying, Peace be with you. He eats with the disciples again, this time of fish, in case you're keeping track, and opens their minds to the scriptures, instructing them that they will soon be responsible for sharing this message of good news, beginning in Jerusalem and extending to all nations. Jesus says to them, You are witnesses to these things, and see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. 
So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is a promise of what's to come at Pentecost, when God's own spirit will fill all people and empower them to share God's good news with the entire world. But then, still on that same Easter day, shortly after Jesus speaks these words to the disciples, he takes them to Bethany, and before he ascends into heaven, Jesus blesses them. This strikes me as a particularly holy moment, a moment when joy and grief and disbelief are held together, when it's impossible to sort out all of the varied emotions, when perhaps even Jesus feels the significance of the moment as he raises his hands and blesses his friends, those who have accompanied him along the journey, whose love and loyalty have sustained him. They are the ones who have laughed and cried together, who have broken bread with the misfits and outsiders, who have wandered and wandered together, always relying on the generosity and hospitality of the neighbor. Jesus and his friends share a beautiful friendship, and this is the beginning of the end, or maybe the end of the beginning of what is to come. Because we know that Pentecost will come, that the Holy Spirit will send them out, but right now we sit with the disciples in this liminal space, this holy moment, what we might even call a threshold, a threshold between what was and what soon shall be. The Irish, te Irish teacher and poet John O'Donohue writes beautifully of thresholds in his book To Bless the Space Between Us. He writes, at any time you can ask yourself, at which threshold am I now standing? At this time in my life, what am I leaving? Where am I about to enter? What is preventing me from crossing my next threshold? And what gift would enable me to do it? O'Donohue continues, a threshold is not a simple boundary. It is a frontier that divides two different territories, rhythms, and atmospheres. Indeed, it is a lovely testimony to the fullness and integrity of an experience or a stage of life that it intensifies toward the end into a real frontier that cannot be crossed without the heart being passionately engaged and woken up. I think that's what Jesus is all about in this moment, engaging the hearts of his dear friends, giving them courage to face what is to come, blessing them, so that they might bless others. Jan Richardson, an artist and United Methodist minister, describes it this way. What still takes hold of me is this, how Jesus prays for and blesses his friends as he leaves them, how the leaving is part of the blessing, as if the blessing can happen no other way than by his departure, by his letting go of the ones whom he has loved, these ones whom he will never cease to love but must release into their own lives so that they may enter into the blessing and enact it on this earth. And so he does it. Jesus releases the disciples and frees them to enter into the next chapter that will not be defined by Jesus' resurrected presence among them, but rather by the disciples' presence among each other, Christ's living body. After Jesus ascends to God, Luke writes, and the disciples worshiped Jesus and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. 
And that is where Luke's gospel ends. It's perhaps fitting that the disciples' response to Jesus' ascension and blessing is their return to Jerusalem, to the temple, to the place where ritual and memory and prayer can sustain them as they linger with their grief and confusion, as they make sense of what comes next. It is a place of comfort, of sanctuary and community. It's a place that will hold them and keep them in joy as they await the invitation and promise of Pentecost and then finally cross over the threshold and into something new. The most significant thresholds are often those that happen in a charged and holy moment like this, in anticipation of a long goodbye with loved ones, a breaking apart or change in a relationship, or at death. And in these threshold moments, like the disciples, we often find deep joy in the blessing given to us, even as our hearts break and our mind, minds wonder what comes next. So how would you answer John O'Donohue's questions? At which threshold are you now standing? At this time in your life, what are you leaving? Where are you about to enter? What is preventing you from crossing the next threshold? And what gift would enable you to do it? Wherever you may be, may God bless you at the threshold. May God's light comfort you. May God's joy sustain you. And may God's peace keep you yesterday, today, and tomorrow too. Thanks be to God. Amen.